The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. flagship show of the Restoration Radio Network, the network for the thinking Catholic. And now, your host. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to uh, The True Restoration, episode number 34 on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host tonight, Nicholas Wansbutter, and I have the privilege of uh, sharing the company of my lovely wife, Monica Wansbutter, as uh, our expert guest and uh, Justin Soder is co-host and another expert in the topic that uh, we have to discuss tonight, which is uh, maybe something uh, a little bit uh, unexpected or out of the ordinary for uh, the sorts of things we cover on the Restoration Radio Network. We'll be discussing uh, health and uh, specifically we'll be talking a lot about food on this show, and you know, I, I hope we'll have a, a little bit of fun with it as well. So, uh, Monica and Justin, uh, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks, so, uh, let's start talking about health, and specifically, we're talking about uh, physical health, the health of the body, and I think, I mean, it, it could be said that pretty much all the other shows on the Restoration Radio Network, uh, in a way, contribute to the health of the mind and of the soul, but... The, the body is uh, also important. Um, so, Justin and Monica, w- w- what thoughts do you have on, like, why should Catholics be concerned about our bodies? I mean, aren't we supposed to be just thinking about heaven and, you know, seeking first the kingdom of heaven? Well, you know, Nicholas, this is, um, this is a good question, and it's, it's one I've thought a lot about, especially over the last few years of my life. Uh, you know, you get a little bit older. I mean, I'm not, I'm not 18 any longer. And uh, you start to think a little bit about your health when you start noticing certain things start aching and uh, you don't have as much energy as you once did. And when you're, when you're unhealthy and you're out of shape, you begin to become more acutely aware of your, your mortality as well as your time here on earth. Uh, you know, we should be concerned, uh, mainly, you know, St. Paul tells us to be, to be so concerned about our bodies. You know, he tells the Corinthians in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that, you know, your bodies are a temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, so that no one takes me out of context on this, I mean, I'm, I'm well aware that St. Paul is speaking about, you know, the sins of fornication and uncleanness and everything, but the, the truth still holds that, the bodies, that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we need to keep that fresh in our minds and that we have an obligation to keep ourselves as healthy as possible uh, for ourselves and for our families. You know, another thing that I would 
also bring up is being here in the United States, I hear no shortage of groveling on a daily basis about this new wonderful gift called Obamacare. And uh, people are, are talking a lot about how much it's costing them and how upset they are, and it's not what it said it was going to be, and on and on. Well, I tell people you know, a lot, this should be a real impetus to you to get yourself in shape and to do your best to stay out of the system. Because no one cares. I don't care what any government official tells you. No one is going to care more about your health than you will. And most people wait for something to go wrong with their bodies before they start concerning themselves with trying to fix it. And if we took a little bit more of a uh, concerned approach about our health as Catholics and uh, also as human beings, obviously, because we are part body and part spirit, um, we, could, we could really avoid a lot of the pitfalls and a lot of the problems that are befalling our society today. And that's not just the United States. That's worldwide. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the United I, States is, yeah. is not the um, is not the picture of poor health, but it's it's this is a this is this is a global problem, and so I think that's why it's important to be concerned about our health. Well, another thing I want to add is that um, you know back in the day without internet, it was much uh, harder to find out these um, solutions to our uh, physical ills ailments. And now we have such a uh, quick way of finding out, you know, we can re- quickly just look up on the Internet um, some kind of um, problem we're having, and we're just getting all bunch of so much uh, fantastic information. And so um, we're not reliant on these doctors anymore and or, uh, you know, specifically going to the doctor's office. We can easily... Uh, come up with um, you know even better solutions that they uh, they suggest us and so you know this is a fantastic time to kind of <laughs> be alive and utilize these resources and uh, you, you know you don't have to drive anywhere you that it costs you you know pennies just to uh, look uh, turn up the internet and find out these information so. Um. Well, uh, Justin, you mentioned. Uh uh, 1 Corinthians, and uh, I just want a, a quote actually from a catechism so that listeners, uh, I don't want people thinking, you know, this is Soder, Juan Sputter, and his wife uh, telling them this is Catholic teaching. I mean, none of us are clergy, but um, I uh, actually checked out a couple of catechisms uh, this evening, again, right for the show, uh, and actually both of them say pretty much the same thing. Uh, I looked at My Catholic Faith, which is a fairly well-known uh, catechism. It's uh, for a little bit younger uh, uh, audience. It has lots of pictures in it. I know it's sold by uh, Angelus Press, and that's from a, written by Bishop Morrow. But uh, I've also I, I pulled out the real big guns here. Uh, the Catechism Explained, an exhaustive explanation of the Catholic religion by Fathers Spirago and Clark. And it's a... Um, it's put out by Tan Books. It's a 800-page uh, catechism that's basically the Catechism of the Council of Trent with added commentary, and it, it was uh, first published in 1899. And uh, when you look under the the discussion of the fifth commandment, "Thou shalt not kill," the very first thing, the very first entry under the fifth commandment of God is one our duty in respect to our own life, 
And it says, uh, many of the ceremonies in the administration of the sacraments, ceremonies full of meaning, are performed upon the body. By these, the Church intends to inspire us with great respect for our bodies and to teach us their high worth and dignity. Our body was created by God as an abode for our immortal soul. And it goes on to say that the condition of the soul is often dependent upon the condition of that abode. Um, it says, when God made the human body out of lifeless earth, it was an uninhabited tenement, but it was destined to be inhabited. Therefore, God created the soul to be its occupant. And it then con- uh, compares the human body to, uh, and the soul to a, the per- a person who lives inside a house and says, if the house be unhealthy, the dweller in it falls sick. Our body is like the shell of an egg. If the shell be injured, the young bird within it is hurt. So if our mortal frame sustains injury, the spirit, the noble inmate of that dwelling, suffers with it. The Romans had a proverb, a healthy mind in a healthy body. And it, it cites uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 13, for the proposition that our body is not our own, it belongs to God. Uh, and we're bound to take care of what is the property of another. Just like the tenant in a house has uh, no right to damage or destroy that house, so we're at not liberty to injure or destroy our body. And then it talks a bit more about you know, why suicide is a sin, why you can't cause damage to yourself. But then the second section under here says that uh, since the life and health of the body are of great importance for the life of the soul and for, it, for our eternal salvation, we are bound to take precautions for the preservation of our health and of our life. And it goes on to in a bit more detail there, but I think it pretty clearly uh, states there that we, we we have a duty to take care of ourselves and to make our health uh, a priority. It's it's important, not as important as the spiritual health, which is why all the other shows on the Restoration Radio Network are more geared towards spirit and intellect, but still worthy of uh, of discussion. And um, I, I think, uh, without being too polemical, I, I think it is a temptation that many traditional Catholics maybe fall into as an overreaction to uh, the, you know, the overly naturalistic view of the modern world that totally discounts the soul to go the other way uh, into acting as if we don't have souls and. Um, I know Bishop Williamson has referred to that attitude as angelism, which is like a, a thinking as if humans are angels that are only uh, spiritual beings, not physical beings. And uh, so then excluding things of the practical order, including things like eating good food, which we're going to talk about, um, ha- having good hygiene, uh, and uh, getting getting physical exercise. So... Um, I, I don't know. Do you, do you think I go too far? If, uh, do, you, do you think that is uh, something that uh, uh, can be a bit of a danger in this age? Yeah, I think it can. I mean, I, I, I think there is a tendency um, for everyone to, to sort of think they have a free pass in the natural order of their bodies, that we can eat whatever we want, whenever we want, and however much of it that we want. And I think that's a, that's a, something that has to be fought against because – 
this is this is also why you know we're coming up on Lent, and and part of Lent is fasting, and uh, you know part of Lent is is to sort of get your your base passions under control by that uh, you know by those practices. But yes, I mean I think. I think that's that's pretty correct. That um, there's there's this tendency to uh, discount things like, oh well, you know, we shouldn't be concerned about politics. We shouldn't be concerned about uh, you know natural issues that occur in the practical order. And uh, you know, this is one that that directly affects you as an individual, but also your family. So I mean, it, it's no surprise to me that that's that's uh, kind of number one under the fifth commandment is to is to take care of your body. So no, I I don't think you're you're uh, you're reading too much into this. Well, and Monica, as, as a mother, I, I guess what would you uh, comment on our, our duties? Talk a lot about duties over our own bodies, but obviously we have duties over those under our under our protection. Um, children are so vulnerable, we are completely, uh, you know, in power over them. And uh, nowadays, there's just, if you take it, if you seriously want to, you know, take care of your children, you look at the big picture, you look at the environment, you look at the people around you, look at, you look at the, is, you know, is there place, uh, safe place structures, etc. And now you're looking into food even so much more now. So uh, it's tremendously uh, important because it's tremendously impacting our lives so much more. Uh, there's so much um, we have to be so <laughs> there's you know attacks from every side, every angle, and um, food is just uh, it's becoming you know um, ravaged with uh, GMOs and pesticides and uh, just bad um, techniques, uh, farming techniques. Um, So people become, you know, allergies, there are all sorts of sicknesses coming. And we, we, you and me know that our kids are suffering because of these things too. I myself am suffering suffering with, with all sorts of things. I think because of the environment, you know, and there's, uh, as you try to save yourself and save your children, you come upon these um, explanations why there, these problems occur. Well, and you know, so, if I could say something to that, Monica, um, why it's so important for children, I think from a very young age, to get the idea of proper nutrition and proper eating is because it doesn't sell a discipline into them. Um, it, you know, to understand that, um, you know, enjoying a good meal uh, is not to be had simply by going to the grocery store and buying a prepackaged something and sticking it in a microwave and eating it. And that there, that you know, good food comes from a process of the, it, it's 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 the fruits of your labor. Okay, and so for children at a young age to realize that oh well we have to put something into what we're eating in order to enjoy what we're eating, that that teaches a valuable lesson. I certainly see this going to grocery stores, and and of course my my grocery store trips are are very very limited in scope these days, and we'll get into that a little bit later on down the road. But I see kids walking around and and you know the junk they have, and they really believe that uh, this is where food comes from. They have no connection. Whatsoever with the process, the the discipline and the order of being in the kitchen with mom and dad and 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 preparing a meal. So I think discipline is something, and order is something that is um, yeah. why it's important for a child from a very young age to understand the proper order of this. And I I would add I think it's also important to, again 
healthy mind and a healthy body. If children are poorly nourished and they've, they're taking all kinds of garbage into their body, that will impair their mental faculties. Now, not to mean they're going to become, you know, totally incompetent, but it'll still make it harder for them to concentrate on their studies. Um, and so there's a direct correlation, another direct correlation to the spiritual side of things is if you're having difficulty uh, concentrating or difficulty understanding and you're miserable all the time because your your body's not doing well, then it, especially for a child who is still learning the discipline, it's one thing for an adult to, um, you know, patiently suffer, uh, uh, you know, infirmities, but you know, it's more difficult for a child who hasn't been formed yet. That's another important aspect. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you know, great points. And, um, well, but I just, okay. So I just want to, uh, jump in here and just, um, like, I mean, I, I really, you know, as a parent, with four kids, you're busy, you know, and I like the fact, uh, I wish I could go and get, grab some uh, package of this, grab some package of that. It's very convenient. It's, it's, it helps me a lot because then I can focus on more giving my kids more entertainment and more time with them, you know, do some crafts, activities, etc. And right now I don't have because I have to cook everything from scratch. So that it's very you know that is a big big cross in my in our lives now so um it's it's too bad the manufacturers are are producing things that are you know hazardous to us instead of giving us food it's the opposite you know it's lots of uh, hazards um but uh i understand i i like the fact yeah we have to um culture our children and teach them all these uh, things but uh I wish we didn't have to go through like you know going back to the real serious basics of you know uh, cooking things from literally from scratch where I have to actually have to have a garden to have food you know that's where we're at the point right now in time and age where to have food you have to be your own farmer <laughs> Because yeah, but you see, Monica, you yeah. know, I would say to that, though, that, that that was very normal, okay? People used to have gardens. This is something, you know, I'm, I'm reading a book right now that, actually, to be, to be fully honest, I'm listening to a book that I got off of audible.com. I've been a member of that for quite some time, and, and I find it a little bit easier to listen to books than to read them these days because I'm just, I'm very busy. But there's a book out there called uh, Folks, This Ain't Normal. And it's by, a, it's by a farmer, and he's an activist. His name is Joel Salatin, S-A-L-A-T-I-N. And, you know, the first few chapters of his book talk about the fact that it was very normal uh, just 50, 60 years ago for people to have backyard gardens like Monica's talking about. This, isn't, this is not wacky stuff here. This is, not, uh, this is nothing abnormal. I mean, he would argue, and I would agree with yeah. him, that it is abnormal not to have a little backyard garden where you can grow some vegetables and some herbs and things okay, like that. Okay, I, so. I gotcha. I, you know, but it's just we're, the world we're living in right now we you're not allowed to have, you know, like we need to have a full utility of our um, uh, backyards and front yards because we seriously need the space. And right now you can't even in many uh, cities and towns, you're not allowed to have front yard gardens, you know, you're not allowed to have front yard, uh, you know, fruit trees. 
um, you know, and the, these things, it's becoming, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's getting too much. Like, um, but anyway, so we are, we are definitely aware of that, you know, all these things are excellently good and like trying to get bigger house, bigger yard, you know, right now, it's unfeasible. Like, you know, 10 years ago, people could buy those, you know, like a, a, the houses prices were completely different. Now it's just impossible to have, uh, unless you're, you know, God is with you and you're very fortunate. But um, for an average person, it's imp- like really hard to find, you know, a bit of space. Uh, so th- these are the real concerns um, we're into it right now. And, um, you know, right now I just want to vent a little bit on what's what's happening in the world. And, like, well, um, we'll, we'll, get in, we'll get yeah, in there. Yeah. I should try to move us along here because uh, I don't want to spend too long on this kind of introductory preamble before we get into the the real um, uh, meat, and meat of, of this show. But uh, just one last point that... Um, uh, I, I, I think uh, we should make is uh, some listeners may may think, well, you know, in the past people weren't so talking about health and talking about, you know, what kind of food they can eat and that and talking, you know, no one talked about whether you needed exercise back in the day and you won't find it in, in most in, uh, you know, Catholic manuals of morality. So, you know, what's our justification for talking about it now? Or if it wasn't talked about then, it's not something to worry about. But I think, Justin, as you were pointing out, a lot of this stuff, people didn't talk about it because that's just the way it was. It was just normal. Most people worked physical jobs. They didn't have cars to get them everywhere. They had to walk everywhere. I mean, that right there is way more exercise than a lot of people get today, just walking everywhere you go. Um, uh, physical activity was just a, a part of life, and that's maybe why they didn't need things like sports and that, which we'll we'll talk about later in the show when we talk about the physical activity aspect. But um, first, we want to uh, talk about um, the immediate necessity before you get to uh, exercise is a food and water. And uh, Monica, I know water is something you're very interested. In. In and you've done lots of studies yeah. on that and getting us to, to uh... you know, can I interrupt for a second? I've, you know, I missed a very important point I wanted to say about with parents, like how what are uh, how parents uh, have um, you know take charge a little bit in in with their children. Well, one thing um, I want to point out is the statistic is that. In the United States right now, the you know infant and U.S. is uh, has the worst infant and maternal mortality of all the developed 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 nations. Right, that's that's quite a crazy uh, statistics right now. But that's exactly you know, exa- where does that come from? You know, it's it's not only that you know um, the fast food that the parents would um, like to buy, but it's the actual food that they're buying, right? It's not uh, the parents' fault kind of thing. It's the manufacturers and everyone who produces this kind of food that it impacts in our lives. So we have to be more aggressive and actually find out what is this food that we're buying, right? So I just want to point that out. And, uh, 
you know, like and another thing is that with um, parents, like uh, I, I strongly would suggest that, uh, you know, parents to be to take uh, a bit of time to prepare their bodies with uh, proper nutrition, eating these the batter, the flax oils, uh, uh, fish oils, uh, lard. Uh, organ meats, eggs, bones, broths, soups, fermented foods, all sorts of things like that. Because if you're not preparing your body for parenthood, uh, uh, you know that, then you're not giving your your infants, your children, those uh, tremendously important vitamins. For example, vegan vegetarian mothers who are, uh, you know, they're low in B12. Well, then when they're uh, nursing. The child is not getting B12, and only it takes only 12, six months for the child to develop uh, serious uh, brain damage, where you know the child is going to be in wheelchair for the rest of their lives. And uh, or there's another example with the uh, D, D deficiency, vitamin D, which is so serious because uh, the baby, the little baby, will be will have rickets disease, and what happens is that. Uh, the baby is born and then suddenly has bone fractures or uh, bone fracture in the leg or in the head. And that is nowadays, um, doctors mistaken that, mistaken that as child abuse. You are uh, accused of, um, you know, shaken baby syndrome or, you know, you're beating your ch- child where in fact the child has rickets, you know. So uh, it is tremendously import- important for the parents to uh, look deeper into food and take charge of uh, find the right diet for themselves and things like that. Yeah, well, and that's, that's uh, we're going to get into all those details. So if we can start with water, what type of water okay. should people drink? <laughs> okay, well, let me get into water. My goodness, bottled water. Did you know that bottled water is more expensive than gasoline? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, uh, did you know that the uh, FDA has only one person dedicated to regulate the uh, uh, bottled water companies, which in practice means there's no regulation. Um, there's this uh, um, group uh, called Environmental Working Group, and they do lots of tests on all sorts of products out there. I mean, I use, I go to that website, you know, to see what toothpaste I'm supposed to use or what uh, shampoo or uh, detergent. And anyway, so they test lots of things. And uh, they've tested um, 10 brands. Uh, and they have, guess what they found? They found 38 contaminants in 10 brands of bottled, just regular bottled water, including um nitrite, caffeine, arsenic, Tylenol, bacteria, industrial uh, um, chemicals, um, and um, uh, chlorine disinfectant byproducts. You know, another thing with bottled water is that um, these companies are using uh, tap water, and tap water is uh, um, uh, disinfected with chlorine. Chlorine itself is a a toxin, but it produces um, these... Uh, disinfectant byproducts, which some of them are hundreds, some of them are thousand times more toxic than chlorine itself. And so another thing with bottled water is um, uh, what? How much of it is recycled? Um, 50% of bottled water bottles are recycled in, in the world, 20% in the United States, and that uh, is dropping every year, that number. 
Um, what happens to these uh, uh, plastics uh, at the, uh, if they don't are not recycled? Well, they get uh, they end up in Pacific Ocean. Oceanographers, uh, oceanographic researchers find uh, they look at all the oceans, like Central Pacific Ocean, North and South Atlantic, and Indian Ocean, and they find an accumulation of soup of plastic accumulating soup of plastic in, in, in the ocean. There's, I want to point out quickly one test they're doing. They just drag a net for a mile and they see what kind of, how much garbage there is. In 2008, they found 40 times more plastic than plankton in the sea, in the ocean, Pacific Ocean. So that, you know, clearly threatens the entire marine web life of this. Okay. So, you know. So, so bottled water is out. Is not, it's, not good. It's, so it's, <laughs> what do you recommend that people drink? Because, as you say, municipal tap water has tends the, to have lots of chlorine in it. Yeah, and chlorine. And a lot of them put fluoride in it, too, which and is... A neuro, neurological, uh, uh, yeah, definitely. Poison, poison. Uh, so what, so what is it? Filtered water. There's different kinds of filtered water. Um, uh, so carbon filter, reverse osmosis, distilled water, and Dr. Markov's preferred <laughs> drinking water is the spring water, which I don't think really is going to uh, be available any, you know, in the in the well, 30s. If, well, if you live near a spring, I guess it's available. Well, we're going to be getting into water shortage soon, so that's going to be out of the, you know, for many people that will be, you know, there will be wars for war. Soon. But anyway, so uh, that's out of the question. Uh, my favorite is distilled water. Uh, you know, the EWG group, Environmental Working Group, they also recommend um, superior carbon filter for the reverse osmosis. At the end of these reverse osmosis and distilled water, uh, there is the carbon filter um, put in place. Uh, in the you know in the home kind of uh, type of um, uh, units, but uh, so I think we should look into superior carbon filter, <laughs> because. But um, well, Justin, what do you drink? Well, it's interesting you would you'd be talking about carbon filtration because um, I became well aware of the the fluoride issue. A while back, and you know, I know this is this is one of these issues where a lot of people that, that talk about fluoride being in the water, and it's 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 new derivative, which is hydrofluorosilicic acid, which is a byproduct of the uh, the phosphate industry, actually, which I know a little bit about, um, and and it's being put in municipal tap water. Um, so um, I don't want to get too far off the beaten path into the tall grass here on the on the fluoride issue, but I would tell people to go make themselves aware of it because it is an extremely serious issue. I mean, there's no question about it, and uh, um, I, I'm going to stop myself there because I have a tendency to want to go down that path and talk a lot about it. But to answer your question, um, I use a gravity-fed filtration system. Uh, it, it's sort of like a Berkey. Um, it, it's made by a company called... Uh, Pro-Pure, and it's a, it's a silver impregnated filter, carbon as well, and it takes out 99.8% of all of the, uh, uh, the fluoride, uh, hydrofluorosilicic acid, as well as microbes, microbials, um, and chlorine, of course. It's interesting about the tap water here locally. Um, you know, I'm on city water here, and you can literally pour a pitcher full of, of 
regular tap water and hold it up to your nose, and it reeks of bleach. I mean, it smells just like a, a, a diluted form of Clorox. I mean, you can smell the chlorine in the water. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it, it's a little scary to think that people are drinking this. Now, of course, the government's going to tell you that it's safe. Yeah, they're gonna, well, you know, it's, it's, it's used within safe limit levels and this, that, and the other. But I ask you, I mean, short, short of a dire emergency when, when your water supply was, was legitimately contaminated, I mean, would you be feeding your kids bleach? Uh, no, you wouldn't. So uh, I'm acutely aware of the water issue here. And one of the things that I like about the gravity-fed uh, filtration system is that if I were to ever lose water here or there was a water shortage, I mean, I can literally go out back to my lake and dip this thing in the lake, and within 45 minutes, I have three and a half gallons of completely sterile, clean drinking water. Uh, so it, it's a bit of a wow. prepper tool as well as a, a you know a practical tool. And uh, I take a How huge bottle of water with me to work. <laughs> well, it, 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 that's a good question, Monica. People will kind of cringe when they hear about a $400 gravity-fed filter, and they'll say, oh, my gosh, $400, and the filters last about a year to a year and a half or about 10 to, I think it's 10 to 14,000 gallons of water. Well, that's the issue, no, it's not bad at all. And when you break it down to what people are paying for bottled water, bottled water is really a modern phenomenon. I remember talking to my grandfather before he died several years ago. He said, if you would have told me in 1945 to invest in bottled water, I would have laughed in your face. And he yeah. said, because water was just water, you know, you went, you know, you went to the faucet, you got water, you went to the river, you got water, you, you know, he, he grew up in the mountains of Virginia and, you know, they, they had a you know, mountain water there. So they, I mean, they never gave a second thought to their water being somehow adulterated with chemicals. And, uh, you know, he lived to the ripe old age of, uh, 80, 88. And he just couldn't believe that this huge craze of bottled water. I mean, even the day he died, he would snicker and laugh at it because he thought it was just so ridiculous. And, and I mean, on the surface, it is ridiculous. But you see why people are doing this because they're driven to this. I mean, they, they have this, this voice in their head that says, yeah, you know, there's something that tastes really funny with my water. Or, boy, the spring water tastes a lot better. Now, I don't know what the regulations are in Canada, but here in the United States, if there is a label on a bottle of water which says spring water, they have to list the source of the spring and where it's pulled from. There was a big controversy back in the mid-90s about this, about just what you were talking about, that it's just, you know, uh, recirculated water, and it's not really spring water, and we have no idea where it's coming from. And so they have to label the source. But even still, my system, over the cost of a year, pays for itself within the first year, and I'm not rushing out buying bottles of water. I carry a stainless steel thermos to work, with three liters of with water. With your lovely water. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, and that's, I'm not isn't rushing that out buying normal? water. You know, you have this uh, normal container, you, know, you bring it home, you wash it, and you use it again. Like, why do you want to be constantly dragging these bottles from the store into your house, throwing them, you know, accumulating, like, so much garbage? It's yeah, me I mean, crazy. it goes to the <laughs> landfills. You know, it goes to the yeah. landfills, and it just it just but it just have con- it around the contribute. house. The, yeah, the, having around the house the constant garbage, the constant you know, doesn't just you have to take care of it. You actually have to put it in the garbage. It's just that's just annoying to me. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, but something. like I said, you know the the, the make and model that uh, that I use is, is by a company called ProPure USA. You can check them out online, and then there's of course Berkey, and those are kind of the gold standards. I mean, you know, Berkey's been around for many, many, many years, and they use very similar technology. What's your opinion of distilled water? 
Well, first of all, I don't like the taste of it. <laughs> I really don't like the okay. taste of distilled water. I mean, but I, I, you know, I, I have don't think you. But you know what? You know, I don't know if you know, but you know that the, the um, like our home distilled water is not actually distilled water. Like right, it's it's not. It's like one hundred of distilled water. It's not because for distilled water you need a fractionation column. Basically, you know it. But this one time of uh, you know evaporation and then filtration, filtration, it's not actually distilled water. It's basically sophisticated filtration. <laughs> so you know, but what do you anyway? Okay, so you don't like the taste of it, but uh, do you have any other concerns about it? Uh, water? Talking about, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's. I tend to go more towards um, spring water than I did distilled. I mean, even as a kid, I never liked the taste of distilled water, and I certainly don't like the taste of reverse osmosis water. I never have liked that. It, it always tasted very, very synthetic to me. I just like the flavor of natural spring water. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, but, did you know that the uh, reverse osmosis it takes four liters to uh, to clean one liter of water? Crazy that is, huh? Aren't you supposed to, we want to conserve water? But anyway. Well, well I think we've uh, covered off uh, water pretty well. And that's okay, probably, the, probably, the, probably the simpler topic. I think food is, is going to be the, the bigger one. And uh, we, I think we, we've alluded to this a bit, bit earlier, the mention of pesticides, herbicides, things like that. And uh, I mean, all, all of us here on this show are... Um, we all eat organic food. Um, so what's the deal with organic food? Why? why uh, I mean, it costs more than the industrial food you buy off the shelf. Uh, why, why? Why is it worth spending extra money to, to get the organic food? We need organic. <laughs> <laughs> we need normal food. We don't want these compromised. Well, yeah. Well. well Let's talk about some of, some of the things that are compromised. Uh, may, it, if you don't mind, I'll just start off because I'm a big meat eater. I could probably live a carnivore diet. I love my meat. But, I mean, organic, just taste. And, well, this isn't just meat. I think it's especially so with meat, maybe because the meat from industrial farms is treated even worse than the plants on industrial farms. I mean, it, it's night and day flavor difference, uh, how much better organic food is. So, I mean, right there, it's worth the extra money because it, it tastes a thousand times better. Um, and it's easier to cook. It's, I mean, you can cook the heck out of some or, organic meat and it'll still be nice and tender and juicy versus a hockey puck if you did that with industrial meat. Um, and I mean, just the, uh, the conditions that livestock are raised in in uh, modern farms. I mean, if you saw it, you'd never want to touch meat again. Uh, I mean, just, I mean, the only reason they're still alive is because they're just pumped full of steroids and uh, antibiotics to keep them on their feet because they're just, yeah. you know, hideously filthy and, you know. Well, yeah. Well, you know, just I want to say, in 1992, FDA, uh, the regulatory body of the GMO, Guess how much they had to say about uh, GMOs? You know, these things just started coming. Okay, people might not know what GMOs are. Oh, genetically modified organisms. Yeah, well, that and that's plants. Plants or you yeah. know, anything organisms. 
Well, they wrote one sentence on it saying they see no risk in it. <laughs> Although GMOs are illegal in Europe, but uh, we'll get back to that. Justin, I think you were, you had a comment to follow well, up on okay, my love this of is, meat. Yeah, well, okay. If 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 Monica's pet topic is water, mine is definitely meat. And uh, sort of opened my eyes about two years ago. Um, there's a big thing in in the South here. In fact, it's interesting. This this movement towards what we would call heritage food started down here in the South, and and it it really was a sort of a renaissance, if you will, of understanding what uh, historical cattle production has always been. And when we talk about organic, uh, we're, we're, we're more talking about grass-fed beef here, okay? Because for those who may not know, and it may seem like a big topic here, but most commodity cattle today, which are raised on feedlots or what we call concentrated animal feed operations, CAFOs, they are, they are a food-like product. I mean, cows were not meant to eat a grain diet. They were not meant to be fattened up to the point of explosion and pumped full of antibiotics and steroids and hormones to keep them alive, to stand yeah. knee-deep in their own excrement. Okay, I mean, this is, a, this, this is a severe problem. And when I tasted grass-fed beef for the first time, it's a funny story. Um, I cooked a three-and-a-half-pound chuck roast in the crock pot because um, I, I really didn't know what all this, this, this whole grass-fed thing was all about. And when I first tasted that meat, I literally must have eaten, gosh, about a pound and a half to two pounds of that roast in one. I couldn't believe how good it tasted. Now, of course, that, that, that doesn't do well for the sin of gluttony, of course, and, and, but, but um, I couldn't believe how good, the food ta- uh, how good the beef tasted and how much different that it tasted. I mean, to the point now where uh, I go out of my way to buy beef from a farmer, okay, who raises grass-fed beef only with no grains, nothing of that nature whatsoever. It's raised, it's born, it's raised, it's finished on grass, and it's slaughtered after eating grass. That's it. And, um, it, you know, it's really catching on because people are, are kind of regaining that, oh, gosh, this is, how, this is what cows used to eat on. I mean, this is, this is how it used to be done. And when you remove all of those chemicals, the steroids, the hormones, the antibiotics, and, and everything these things are force-fed, a high-carbohydrate diet to make them as fat and profitable as possible at slaughter, um, you begin to realize that uh, there's been a real disconnect in what we understand to be beef. It's the same thing with chickens. I mean, it, it's the same thing there. I mean, you, you know, having a pastured chicken that hunts and pecks and does what chickens do rather than raised in some Tyson factory somewhere where they have literally a hormone shower being sprayed over them and their breasts are growing so big that it's breaking their legs they can't walk. I mean, this is not, this is not conspiracy stuff here. I mean, this is, this is very, yeah. very easily researchable, very easily documented, and all it takes is a little bit of your own time to figure this out. Like, oh my gosh, I mean, this is really happening, and it is happening. Yeah, so, and I don't, I don't think you need a science degree to realize that eating meat coming from those conditions is not going to be good for you. Mm-hmm. No, it's yeah. not going to be good for you. I mean, you no, know, you it's, it, it, it's like you know, the old saying goes, you know, you are what you eat. Okay, so if you are what you yeah. eat and you're eating that, it, it's no wonder that you're, you know, that, that you're, you know, your your fat levels are completely off. I mean, um, not to get not to get too heady into this topic here, but when you look at the ratio of omega sixes to omega threes in regular in regular commodity beef, it's about fifteen to one, and that's that's way off compared to grass fed beef, where you have a, about a three to one ratio of omega six to omega three. You know, the conjugated linolenic acids in, in grass-fed yeah. beef are much, much healthier. And uh, so it, it's the whole product here. I mean, it's not just the taste. It's everything about the meat you're putting into your body. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and well, let's talk about crops. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, Monica, you, meant, you, know, you mentioned genetically modified organisms, and uh, maybe just talk quickly about like what are we talking about by genetically modified? Like, what what do they do to these things? Well, they they uh, put a mixture of, um, I guess. Uh, they take a bunch of cells in a petri, di- petri dish or a test tube, and they put some, you know, another gene in it or some kind of um, DNA uh, strand in there, and then shake it all about and see. Uh, and then they pick out, pick out, you know, couple cells from those, you know, couple samples of these cells and put them in another petri dish and and see how it grows. How see how it develops either a plant or a or an actual organism, another organism, and you know it's all by chance. It's all by you know uh, just uh, they end up uh, you know just they just look at how the uh, end result looks like and tastes like. You know they totally ignore the fact that there could be like hundred other mutations in there, which is, you know, who knows if it's helpful, is it good for us or or not good for us? You know, that idea is completely wiped away right. and ignored. Well, and one of the main one of the main things they usually it's not even for taste or anything. They're putting it in there for like I used to I worked one summer at Monsanto, which is kind of an infamous uh, company. Yes, in, we know uh, all about the evil yeah. empire, huh, Nicholas? <laughs> but I mean, they. I mean, I even then I was thinking, like, how can this be good? I mean, they. If people know what Roundup is, I mean, you spray it and it it annihilates everything that it touches. Yet they somehow created. Um, well, back in my day, it was they only had Roundup Ready canola, but now they have Roundup Ready everything. Yeah. They can spray the field and just completely sterilize the field, but somehow this stuff survives. Oh, so, and, yeah. and and then they uh, they put a Terminator gene in it so that it can't reproduce, so that you have to keep going back to Monsanto year after year after year to buy their seeds. And uh, I mean, aside from the scientific implications, I mean, from a Catholic perspective, I mean that seems to me like the most diabolical playing of God. This messing with DNA and trying to create new organisms, and uh, surely that's gonna. That's not going to bear good fruit. No, because these genes are in the end passed on from generation to generation. It will not stop unless you burn it or disintegrate it somehow. This will be with us for the rest of the time, you know. So this kind of multiplication. And if everyone eventually uses Monsanto seeds, eventually... uh, there could, if, if Monsanto stops producing for some reason, a widespread famine because there'd be no seeds anymore because of the Terminator genes. Yeah. Mm. The, oh, I don't know how that's going to work. That is a serious problem, absolutely. Well, uh, um, if I may make a recommendation here real quick, I'm holding in my hands a book by Father Dennis Fahey, uh, and I'm sure many of our listeners are aware of who Father Fahey is. If you're not aware, get yourself aware of who Father Fahey is. He's a, he's a phenomenal writer. Um, 
He's written many books, um, and uh, this one I'm holding here is called The Church and Farming. He has a, he has a, uh, a portion of the book dedicated called The Ravages of Agri-Industry. Now, keep in mind when this book was written, okay? The, the, I'm looking here in the front of the book here. This book was uh, first published, and, and it was, it was uh, written uh, in part to the Italian Farmers Federation on the 15th of November, 1946. This is, this is what Father Fahey has to say here. Um, he says, No community, however well organized it is and equipped it may be, can long prosper at the expense of its food producers. Yet it is substantially what Western industrialized communities have been trying to do in their attempt to secure cheap and abundant supplies of food and soil products without themselves participating in the labors and hazards of husbandry. They have both in their feeding habits and in their rootlessness, that's rootlessness, shown signs of reverting to the predatory nomadism of the barbarian. For their concentrated economic power and their elaborate apparatus of extraction, transport, and conversion, they have been reaching out over vast areas for natural wealth for which they make no corresponding return. Now, that was written in 1946, and this is not some, this is not some uh, guy like you know, Alex Jones on the this is Father Dennis Fahey here, okay? And yeah. he's writing about this in 1946, mm-hmm. all right? And so, you know, looking back over, you know, 70 years, you know, 80 years ago, look at where we are now. Yes. Well, it's crazy. I mean, yes, it's, it's just horrible. And uh, not only, but, you know, and on top of it, they're adding... Uh, other poisons to these um, like herbicides and pest, uh, um, yeah, pesticides. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. I think that bears remembering that you're eating those herbicides and pesticides. Yeah. DDT, like uh, now they're adding. They have Roundup has glycophosphates, and that those are according to Dr. Don Huber, who is an expert in an area of science related to toxicity of genetically engineered food. He exclaimed that. Um, uh, the, uh, these uh, glycophosphates are far worse than DDTs, and DDTs are linked to Alzheimer's disease decades after being exposed, exposure to it. And it's also linked to allergies and digestive problems. So these, these, these are crazy things that they're adding to it. It will last with us for generations to generations. Okay, okay, Monica and Nicholas, all right, I have a question for you. I'm going to play the devil's advocate here real quick, and, and I'm going to put myself in the shoes of some of our listeners, okay, who are obviously saying, oh, well, you know, the Wands, Butters, and Soda are just rambling on here about how good their expensive food tastes, and, you know, we can't afford organic, and, you know, blah, 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 and they're okay. going to be tempted to tune us out. So I ask you this question. Um, you know, you guys are obviously raising four children, all right, and you know you have you know many household expenses. How do you how do you go about acquiring this food without literally breaking the bank? I mean, what what options do you have to get really good quality food without breaking the bank? Nicholas. Well, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of in charge of the finances. Uh, local farmers, um, and especially for meat. Uh, you buy half a cow or a whole cow or half a pig, um, the, like, it, it's the same price as non-organic food when you buy it in bulk like that. We have a great big freezer in our kitchen, actually, but we'll eventually, when we either way, either redesign way. things, will be somewhere else. But we have a great big freezer, 
And uh, there's at the local organic store, they're farmers, and the brother of the lady that owns the store, we got hooked up with him because we know her, and he's a grass-fed beef farmer. So I bought half a cow from him for $700. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but when you think half a cow is a lot of meat, like half a cow is well over 100 pounds, probably close to 200 pounds worth of meat, and you get all the cuts. So we've got T-bone steaks, we've got porterhouse steaks, we've got sirloin, we've got um, soup bones, we've got uh, lots of ground beef. And I mean, when you, when you, $700, that's a lot, but I mean, you know, I bought that back in November and we've, and we've maybe, we haven't even used half of it. So I just want to add that, you know, farmers know farmers. So what do you do? You ask them, do you know anyone who has organic chickens or do you have do you know anyone who has organic uh, pigs you know you have to put your foot out there and start asking and you will find people you know and maybe you will you know give the another farmer an idea maybe i should invest in organic because you know people are looking for that stuff so you know just start walking and doing the searching and uh, i'm sure you'll find something yeah. like yeah, that so yeah, cut out the middleman and buy in bulk are the the quickest, easiest solutions. If you are fortunate enough to live in a, a a city that allows yard chickens, or you happen to live on some land, uh, if you're ready for the next level, we're not yet. But uh, I think having having some chickens, uh, adding a bit of small livestock of your own, and you know having a bit of a garden. Uh, we're, we're hoping to start a garden, but uh, this uh, this summer. But with young children and being complete city slickers growing up, that's a it's going to be a hard, a daunting, <laughs> a daunting yeah. task. But um, I mean, those those would be the two main ways uh, that, that that we've employed to really. I mean, when we first started out with the organic, we didn't know what we were doing, and I was we were spending over two thousand dollars a month in food. And I think there were only four of us at that time. But uh, now that we've met some farmers and then met other farmers through them, and, and you know, we've cut that down, yeah. cut that down significantly. Now, but there's, also, now there's six of us instead of four, and we're probably yeah. down to you know about fifteen hundred a month. But it's another thing. It's it's what you're cooking, right? Because it's also. Uh, you know, we there's lots of things that I just don't go buy anymore, right? We're not buying milk because I wish I could go. You know, I don't have a pasture uh, like um, anyone. I don't have a contact for milk, so yeah, we're not well, getting any milk. Well, raw, it's easier to get cocaine than raw milk for yeah. anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Well, and you see what's happening here in the states. You know, I mean, Lord forbid if you if if you if you dare sell raw milk and you know in the wrong place in the States. I mean, you literally have FBI and USDA raids that yeah that come in, and, and I mean it, it's just it, it's just really ridiculous. I would um, I would add to that that uh, you know that there's another good resource for you know for we city slickers, uh, and that is the the farmers market. Now you know farmers markets are starting to pop up literally all over the U.S. as, as people become more more aware.
aware of um, and somewhat uh, more tuned in to their food sources. You know, you can go to a farmer's market, and just like Monica said, I mean, look, farmers know farmers. I mean, if you tell them, hey, look, you know, I'm looking for someone that's going to sell me clean, uh, really good eggs. You know, who do you, who do you recommend? Oh, I know so and so. Don't don't hesitate to use that. I mean, I remember whenever I first started going to farmers markets, I was very intimidated because here I am. I mean, heck, I mean, hey, food comes from the grocery store, right? I mean, I didn't know anything yes. about farmers markets, and and so I, you know, I went there kind of with my my hat in my hand and being very uh, feeling very small and tapping into this 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 world of people. And I have to say, I mean, these people are so nice and they're so anxious and willing to share information with you that uh, you know definitely definitely do that. Take your family down to a farmers market and and hey, you know you never know. I mean, farmers are more than happy to have you come out to their farm and to show you the farm and hey, put the kids to work and you might go to barter some stuff off. I mean, I know many farmers uh, you know, around here where if you come out there and help them, you know, on a Saturday. Saturday once a month, they'll trade you off for eggs and beef and things like that just because they need help around the farm. So there's ways to make this happen. I would also mm-hmm. agree that buying in bulk is definitely the way to do it. I know that when I buy my meat, you know, since I don't have six mouths to feed in like, like the Wands Butter household does, um, I bought an eighth of a cow, and the eighth of a cow cost me $400, and that was 56 pounds of meat. Uh, and, and, you know, that was all cuts of meat, and it was delivered to my place, and that'll last me for a good long time. And I'm not going to the grocery store. When, when you break down the cost per pound of what I bought, I mean, it's maybe 15, maybe 15% over what commodity beef is at the grocery store. So it's really not that much more. You know, it's just mm-hmm. doing your homework and realizing, yeah, I'm not going to go to Whole Foods and pay Whole Foods prices for their ground beef and this, that, and the other. I mean, yeah, if you want to go try out what this beef tastes like, sure, you can make a minimal investment and do it. But that's not where you're going to want to stock up on your food because it's going to kill you in cost. So being smart about this is equally as important as being vigilant about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we're uh, just at the, the top of the hour they're about halfway through our showtime, and uh, those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to The Restoration on the Restoration Radio Network. And uh, I'm Nicholas Wansbutter, joined by my wife, Monica, and Justin Soder. And uh, today we're, we're talking about health. We've uh, talked a little bit about why, uh, as Catholics, it's important for us to be concerned about our health. We've uh, talked about uh, water, and then uh, we've been talking about uh, food, uh, industrial food versus organic food, and uh, uh, having just uh, uh, finished up talking about ways to more cheaply acquire this, I know um, uh, I don't think we need to belabor uh, bad things uh, that that are in food, but uh, you can't. I know Monica can canned food. You've done some sites. Perhaps you should quickly talk about that a bit because. Uh, yeah, I you do can have... get organic food that's canned, but canned isn't necessarily. There are good. dangerous with cans, with canned foods, and one of the basic ones that the only one I really want to talk about is uh, the uh, the potential uh, problems of um, methanol poisoning, because what happens? Uh, uh, well, I want to just point out who who I know this from. This is. Um, um, Dr. Marco's uh, inter- interview with Dr. Woody Monte, who explained this ho- yeah. whole phenomenon. We should just maybe, we've mentioned Dr. Mercola a couple times, maybe we should just say uh, a, a few words about who this guy is that we've referenced a few times. Well, 
Dr. Marcola is a wonderful doctor who has his nose in every issue involving health possible, I think, because every time I look at he has millions of articles on on all sorts of issues. He interviews all sorts of um uh, you know, health-related people. He's been doctor for, I don't know, was it 30 years already? Yeah, like a, a medical doctor. A medical he, doctor, not yeah. not like a, right. a PhD in theology who's waxing eloquent yeah. about health. Food. No, no, he He's actually has, doctor. yeah, he actually has his own patients. He's been, you know, he has, he says he has thousands of patients who he has helped, literally. Um, so, uh uh, anyway, so he uh, his articles are on the web. He has his own uh, drmarcola.com drmarcola.com. Dr. Marcola. Anyway, so uh, he was interviewing Dr. Woody Monte. Uh, this uh, this article, I think, I forget the name of it. Unfortunately, I think it's it's aspartame deception or something like that. Aspartame something, but um, and he goes on to say how you know aspartame is getting to be uh, put in include into everything, including milk. But anyway, the problems with aspartame is that it also turns into methanol. So what? Uh, let me just uh, get to the point of this uh, uh, subject here. Is that uh, skins of vegetables and fruits have pectin, and when pectin when they are jarred uh, at room temperature for a long time, pectin uh, breaks down and becomes methanol. And there's the problem with that methanol because methanol becomes in uh, in the human cell formaldehyde, and formaldehyde then attacks all sorts of cell, you know, um, organelles and proteins. It attaches to them and then makes them unfunctional. It, uh, you know, um, it's been, it has been uh, known a long time that uh, we should not be drinking um, alcohol from the trees because that's a methanol kind of alcohol. And because people are drinking that methanol, they were becoming blind. So this is the same thing, uh, and uh, th- these um, accumulation of methyl in these canned foods, canned vegetables, syrups, jams, they it all can accumulate in there, and if you you know you you're gonna become blind, and actually that is exactly what was happening to, uh, happening to me. I lost twice my uh, sight twice, um, and thank God I I was I came upon this article. And because I was kind of losing my sight, I was seeing all sorts of lights, flashing lights. I I had a really have difficult time counting plates. And uh, so anyway, I found out uh, this information, and I realized, oh my gosh, I've been eating jams all my life. Yeah, of course, being Polish, I mean, you you practically lived on jams, pickles. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) sauerkrauts and things like that. And so, um, and then again, I tried, uh, okay, after uh, staying away from these canned foods for a while, then I want, you know, I realized that, oh, fermented food is good. And, you know, we have some uh, sauerkraut in our organic store there. And so I tried that and then I went blind again for five minutes. I'm like, okay, so I guess they didn't always have that sauerkraut uh, stored at four degrees Celsius. 
because the thing is that the, the, to prevent this, uh, uh, so the solution to this uh, problem with methanol is to, once we finish making these canned foods, we have to store them at four degrees Celsius, so in a fridge. Or um, other things, we can boil this, boil off this methanol, so we can boil our syrups, we can boil our tomato sauce, and it does uh, it naturally happens that when you're cooking cooking it for a long time, these vegetables they release that methanol, it goes into the air, and it's, you know it's per- perfectly fine to eat and consume afterwards. Mm. Yeah, and and so now uh, we're we're uh, trying to be about solutions. Uh, so we were talking about cost savings, and now Monica, you're you're making um, making sauerkraut. sauerkraut, and it's not uh, maybe just talk quickly. It's not too difficult to make. Oh, sauerkraut! Is, well, this is just wonderful because I mean, sauerkraut is so full of so many excellent bacteria that uh, restores your gut flora, and it's uh, th- that's just so wonderful. And um, no other vegetable has uh, so many uh, different um, bacteria in there. So, um, well, everything you know that you have to make at home is time-consuming because obviously it's not you going and buying it and just putting it in the fridge. You have to actually take the time to make all those things. But it's doable. Yeah, well, you can. Us, yeah, give us a quick recipe. Your quick uh, recipe? sauerkraut recipe. Well, eighty percent of uh, cabbage. Chop it up. Uh, put some. Um, you know, the more stuff you put in there, the more variety, then more different bacteria will have because every little uh, vegetable or spice will have a bit of different bacteria in there. So then you can put a bit of garlic, you know, and a bit of carrot, uh, you know. Um, Dr. McCullough puts, uh, instead of putting just water in there, he puts um, uh, celery uh, juice. Uh, so, you know, you pound that in there and, and uh, leave it for a week at room temperature. Um, not a, you know, the temperature is, could be lower than, you know, 17 degrees Celsius and not higher than 25 because that's, after 25 it, you know, kills the bacteria. You store it in your cooler for three weeks and, uh, you know, you don't tighten it too tight because you want the air to escape. It ferments and it will leave a bit of a, you know, um, the water will come out of the jugs for a, a little bit. But anyway, it's, it tastes fabulous, you know. And the, the, right. the and after three weeks needs to go into the and, fridge. Yes, and after three weeks, yeah. Right. Okay, well, um, uh, I, I want to uh, move on to uh, some of our other topics, but I think... Before we leave the food, uh, Justin, did you want to talk quickly about um, the dangers of restaurant food and pre-prepared food, especially? You know, we've been talking a lot about just in general industrial food, but I think that a special warning bears mentioning in terms of restaurant food. Sure. Um, I would say the first... The first way to look at this is, you know, we've been talking all night about how to control what you're putting in your mouth, okay, and how to do the homework for what you're putting in your mouth and what you're feeding your family. The problem with going out to eat, and and let me just say up front, I still do go out to eat occasionally, but the key word there is occasionally, and it is very rare because I find that when I cook for myself, I I can cook a steak better than anybody out can cook for me, and it's much better quality beef, so I don't have that real desire to go out anymore, but... Uh, the one thing you have to be careful of is that when you go to a restaurant, 
and particularly if it's an inexpensive restaurant, you are completely ceding the control of what you're putting in your mouth to somebody else. You have no idea what's in the food, and usually, if it's a, you know, if it's a large chain restaurant, what you're getting is you're getting commodity food. You're getting, you know, whatever you know, U.S. food product or no, excuse me, uh, you know, U.S. food service, you know, whatever their truck brings and drops off. You know, the food is breaded in, uh, is breaded in breadcrumbs that are GMO wheat, which you know the the whole wheat thing is an issue as well. We can get to later on, but um, you know, there's a if you have any food sensitivities whatsoever, they're going to be exacerbated when you go out to eat because you're not being able to control what's going in your mouth. You know, we have a mutual friend here that we all know who has a very, very sensitive diet, and, and he can't go out to restaurants because he doesn't know what's being put in the food. Now, I'm not, I'm not implying there's some conspiracy here on the part of the restaurants. I mean, they're, they're just serving their food. They're, they're not you know, trying to feed you bad food. They're just serving what they sell. But you don't have any control over that. So if you're going to go to a restaurant, try to make it a restaurant that's a halfway decent one that you sit down at. And you can actually ask a waiter or a waitress that may be halfway intelligent on what's actually going into the food. Um, you, you know, we have a place here in the States. And if you guys are ever down here, I'll take you out there. It's, a, it, it's, a, it's an Italian food restaurant called uh, mm-hmm. Barabas. And you know, they pride themselves on, on, on actually bringing in fresh food and making everything fresh. Now, they're a chain. You know, they're, 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 their parent company is um, Outback Steakhouse. Uh, um, I think it's uh, Darden. And uh, but they they really try hard to to buy local food and make things fresh, this, that and the other. So if you're going to go out, understand you're taking a risk and try to mitigate that risk by going to a place or actually put some thought process into what they're cooking. Don't just go to a place like Olive Garden that's going to just literally you know, microwave their food. I mean, I, I have a friend of mine that used to work there. Uh, well, actually, he's, he's more of an acquaintance, but he told me it's, you know, half of their stuff is just is just microwaved. You know, so it, it's something to keep in mind that if you're going to go out and know that you're not going to have the control that you have when you're at home. And, and also, you're not going to have the quality of flavor either. I mean, the food you make at home is going to be better, in course, with, with limited exceptions. But most of the stuff that you cook at home is going to be better. Yeah, I have to say, I've been disappointed every time I've been to a restaurant since we started eating organic. You know, I used to always look forward to, you know, the rare occasion of going to a restaurant, and now I always come away like, why oh, did I go there? Yeah, why did I spend all that money? Yeah, I feel the good. same way. I mean, I had the same exact experience. I mean, like, you know, I got to a steakhouse today, and short of, like, going to a, um Argentinian steakhouse, because, you know, the Argentinians are, are, are known for their grass-fed beef. I mean, they, they never bought into the industrial food model, so, you know, all of their beef, and the reason why people rave about you know, Argentinian beef is because it is grass-fed beef, and, and so... um you know, if I go out to a steakhouse, someone says, someone tells me, "Oh, yeah, you have to go out. Their steak is really good." I'm thinking to myself in the back of my head, "No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not." But you know, mm-hmm. I'll play ball and I'll go out and you know, I'll eat mm-hmm. the beef, and it's like, "Gosh, this just does not taste. This does not taste like what I eat." Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, moving along, I know another topic that's uh, close to my dear wife's heart is the issue of hygiene. Um, and I mean, we're not going to talk about how many showers a day you need to take or, or uh, anything like that, but I know in terms of, uh, washing dishes is, uh, something that's a bit of a pet peeve. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's, you know, really, I mean, I just, I'm amazed how people wash their dishes is, you know, they soap them up, <clears throat> they just run across that water once and then put the whole the dish 
into the dish rack, letting it dry with the soap on, with the dirt on, <laughs> and then wiping it with a cloth because to dry it. And you know, and they, they serve you. That's a. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't understand. Uh, anyway, but I'll just tell you uh, from my experience in la- in the labs. I, I was w- working for two years in laboratories and in uh, manufacturing industry. And uh, in manufacturing, we uh, we washed. Okay, the the rule was to at least rinse the dishes or the equipment three times. And we tested that, that equipment to um, to see if there's any uh, residue of the soap or any other um, detergent there. And uh, so, you know, when we rinsed those uh, containers, it wasn't just with a bit of water. It was copious and copious and copious amounts of water because we wanted to have it clean. And so, uh, you know, later on, the company, you know, got dishwashers and things like that. So that was uh, easier for the workers and everything. But same with the laboratory. We tested them with after we washed them, you know. And uh, so everyone made sure those things are clean and they will not uh, have any debris that can uh, give you... Uh, cross reactions with your own, with your, um, your samples and with your what you're trying to do there. So you know the simple thing we do here at home uh, is to clean the dishes. God gave us enough water to clean the dishes, I believe. And so please make sure you rinse those dishes. You do not want to be eating soap. Soap is poison. It's only there to help you, you know, make suds to take out the grease and everything else. So we do not want to ingest that. We d- this is not food. This is only, you know, a detergent. So b- do take the time to rinse out that soap. Mm. Now, um, uh, another thing equally important that maybe people don't necessarily think about, Mark, I know uh, you, you're always looking for um, for stainless steel uh, cooking uh, pots. Cookware, yes. So uh, why why are you always so specific that you want stainless steel? Well, stainless steel is more most durable, bendable, and you can bang on it, you can cut on it, you can, you know, it it does rust eventually, but it's not as you know, it doesn't rust immediately. Um, it's you know, I know a lady who has her stainless steel sheets, cookie sheets for 20 years, you know. Where is this with this uh, non-stick, uh, you know, uh, uh, layered uh, uh, coatings that they have now? Um, Teflon. Teflon and whatever, you know, and these cookie sheets and muffin tins and things like that. They're all with this non-stick stuff. Well, first of all, you know, this nonstick stuff leaches, you know, and then it degrades and, you know, like two, two, two uses of it and you have to buy some more. You know, you can't even clean that stuff properly because you'll scratch that uh, surface off. And so it's just, it's seriously not healthy for us. It reacts. So, um, what do, do I suggest you uh, you purchase a stainless steel or use your uh, glass or enamel uh, material? These are all non-reactive. Um, some people recommend cast iron. 
cast iron is good. I guess it's durable, but you know, it does rust. You have to oil it and make sure that, um, and realize that this iron is not good for us. It's not a biologically available iron. So our body is not able to grab it and use it. Okay. So it's not a desirable iron, but, uh, it's, it's not as poisonous as, you know, the nonstick, uh, layers that they add. So I know, uh, aluminum. Or of course, okay, you want to get rid of, yeah, you do not want to have uh, nonstick stuff and um, aluminum. Um, well, what's wrong with aluminum? Well, aluminum. It's cheap and it's light, so a lot of people. Yeah, well, it uh, blocks your nervous system. It's another heavy metal. It's like lead. It's like uh, mercury, you know. You do not want to have aluminum around you. Uh, so I guess the thing is aluminum will leach into your food, whereas stainless steel won't. Uh, well, stainless steel is not hazardous to your brain, okay? St- aluminum is. Okay. Uh, stainless steel is iron. I, it's like it's just that the iron, um, like uh, iron, uh, but uh, heated up at a much higher temperature. So it becomes this nice, uh, it's still iron. There you go. All right. Yeah. Well, um We've got about uh, 40 minutes left in the show, and uh, they're just um, okay, carrying on. Uh, I th- think we should, we've talked about kind of the food more broadly, cooking utensils broadly, water. Um, but I, I'd like to get down into a bit more detail about um, beyond just saying, uh, trying to get to organic food or grass fed food, getting away from the pesticides and the herbicides and the ge- genetic modifications, are there other diet things we should be concerned with? And Justin, uh, perhaps I'll turn it over to you first, um, because uh, I know this is something that um, is near and dear to your heart. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. I went through 30 years of my life and uh, really didn't realize the sensitivities that I had. Um, you know, for our listeners, um, I'm, I'm about 6'2", and uh, in, in 2012, I was 304 pounds. And, um, you know, of course, everyone it was always nice. And, oh, gosh, you didn't look like you were 304 pounds. And you look at a picture and you say, yeah, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. And, of course, you know, I, I had tried many times in my life to lose weight and, you know, followed the um, – you know, the recommendations of my doctor and, uh, you know, of course, him, him turning you over to the, uh, you know, the FDA-approved food pyramid, which, you know, that has its whole story, too, we don't have time for. But uh, essentially, the, the food pyramid, that, as we know it, really was a political creation, and it really is inverted. Um, you know, you're, you're told all your life to have heart-healthy whole grains and, you know, make sure you're eating, you know, plenty of fruits and vegetables. And, and, and while those themselves are not bad things, um, the, the portions and percentages of them in your, in your macronutrient outlook are really wrong according to what the government tells you to do. And so, you know, I tried many different times to get weight off. And, you know, I, I do the typical thing, you know, the calorie counting and, and whatnot. But I, I was really never getting any results, and I didn't understand what sensitivities were causing me to keep weight on my body. 
And so, like most things in, in, in today's society, you know, whatever the government tells you to do, do just the opposite and you'll be fine. And uh, <laughs> so, so I started, uh, you know, I started looking down the path of, of kind of a, you know, a ketogenic diet where I, I pulled the wheat out of my diet. I just totally divorced myself of, of wheat, and, um, and I began eating a lot more fats and a, and, and a moderate amount of proteins, and I began getting all my carbohydrates from naturally occurring sources like vegetables, you know, broccoli, carrots, cauliflower, spinach, kale, Swiss chard, those things like that. And it was... And, Wait a minute, Justin, it, you in- increased your fat intake, so what do you weigh, 400 pounds now? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 uh, <laughs> quite, quite the opposite. You know, the more fat I put into my body and the less sugar and wheat that I had in my body, the more the weight began to effortlessly melt off. And with little exercise, I mean, I, I began, you know, the first, the, the first month that I did this, I was down 23 pounds. And I mean, really really made no effort and wasn't, I mean, other than what I was putting in my mouth, I mean, I wasn't going to the gym and, you know, busting it hard for, you know, a good hour. I mean, I was just changing what I put in my body and it was like a switch. I mean, just bam, just like that. I mean, everything started changing in my body and I began watching literally over a 12, well, over a 12 month period, 82 pounds just fall off of me. I couldn't believe it. I was just totally shocked. I'm eating tons and tons of uh, butter that come from grass-fed cows and eating a lot of meat, a lot of fish. Butter, and not margarine? No, <laughs> you mean that vegetable my oil? That's second shock of good. <laughs> no, real, real butter, you know, Kerrygold, real good butter. Uh, and, and it's... Um, Begin eating a lot of eggs. I mean, just a ton of eggs, and I couldn't well, believe see, that. You eggs know, are another thing we're taught are horrible for you. Oh yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, poor chickens. I mean, you talk about something that's been demonized over the last fifty years. I mean, and, and it's kind of funny too because if you listen to the quote-unquote experts go back and forth on this, oh well, one-year chicken uh, eggs are bad. One-year eggs are good. One-year eggs are bad. One-year eggs are good. I mean, eggs are a superfood. I mean, there's a reason why a chicken lays an egg. Okay, because I God totally designed it that agree. way. You know, chickens lay eggs because that's what God designed them to do, and we're to eat them. And eggs may be one of the most perfect food, foods that there is on this planet. And, um, of course, I bought into this idea of this whole, you know, the cholesterol myth. Well, you know, cholesterol causes heart attacks. And, you know, because you're told this. You're told this from a young age. Yeah. that Oh, you're eating too much cholesterol. And, you Don't know, so touch so, those uh, eggs. Yeah. Right, you know, so so I would say finding my sensitivities out and, and kind of finding out what what my what my metabolic type was was sort of like just this opening to me that I couldn't believe that I finally figured it out. And of course, for a diet that, according to the experts, is supposed to kill me. For those of you who are saying, "Yeah, this guy over here, he's gonna <laughs> this guy's gonna drop dead at 35," my blood pressure was 118 over 77 with a resting heart rate of 69 or 70 beats a minute. My blood work panels, my my HDL has come back extremely extremely high, which is excellent. I am in the best shape I've been in my entire life, and it has all been because of changing the food I'm putting in my body. Yeah, you, you know, listen both to you your guys body, me, and I you mean, go follow it, right? <clears throat> exactly, and, and cooking my food, cooking real food from scratch, and making bulk so I can take it to work with me and not go out to eat the lunch with like all the guys that go out every single day, and they eat the same garbage, and they look like it. I mean, they're, they're all overweight. They all sit on their, on their behinds all day. And uh, they have yeah. they have huge stomachs and they're 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 inherently unhealthy. And they're unhealthy. depressed. 
And they're very depressed, absolutely. I would tell people that most people, and you know, we can get into the finer points of food sensitivity, but get the sugar out of your diet. Get the wheats out of your diet. I mean, you know, a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, you know, I've been eating bread for years. I can never get it. Listen, I'm going to promise our listeners right now, there is nobody on this planet that loved bread more than I did, okay? And then when I did it for 30 days, I said to myself, look, I'll do this for 30 days. I can do anything for 30 days. I'll just play the game for 30 days and see what this is all about. And within the first week, it was like I had a new lease on life. I couldn't believe how good my body felt. I couldn't believe how I was light on my feet and how much energy I had. And I wasn't getting those afternoon drops like, you know, on 2 o'clock, you're yawning and you're just yeah. hoping the five hurries can get here. <laughs> it was like my complete health picture, even, even at 300 pounds or two, 290 or whatever I was at the time. It was like my complete health picture totally changed, and I realized the sensitivity that I and, of course, most people have to a high-carbohydrate, high-sugar diet, and that's why we're getting fat. It's not because of the fat you're putting in your body, because truth be told, listen, guys, we've been told now for the last 30 years that a low-fat diet is a way to lose weight, and people by default have bought into this because if you look in the store, everything seems to be low-fat, reduced-fat, yeah. this, that, and the other, but yet we are, we are unhealthier today than we've ever been in the history. And so how is this possible that, you know, we've been told by every authority, every agency, known to man, every advertising campaign known to man, that fat is bad, have a low-fat diet, have a a diet rich in grains, and you're going to be healthy. And yet we're not healthy following that that model. Well, and look, our, you know, our grandparents, uh, they, you know, they'd have bacon and eggs every morning. And I remember when I was a kid, thinking, like, well, how, how did they survive? How come they're not all fat? Right. Well, that, that's what I have for breakfast every morning now. And I, like you, Justin, I, I'm in the best shape I've been in in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, Monica's favorite line is after after we'd been married because she started getting me eat, eating better and. Uh, you know, what one time when a uh, few months after we were married, I uh, went to my parents' place. My dad looks at me and he says, what did you he lost, say, Mark? He said, you, you lost, lost your, your guts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm not pregnant any longer, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. But, um, yeah. Ju- Justin, you mentioned metabolic typing, and but maybe I'll switch over to Monica because I, she she's the one who introduced me to metabolic typing. What's that all about, Monica? Well, I would love to talk about this, and I'm sure you all will appreciate this Um um, I appreciate all the information you give to us, Monica. This is very great. <laughs> you just you just have at it. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, metabolic type was uh, discovered by um, William Walcott. Walcott. His book is Metabolic Typing. Uh, he did that. He discovered it in 1983. But this is um, so. I want to just discuss quickly um, all about this. And then uh, I want to also talk about um, what's the problem with sugar. You know, you're talking about breads and things like that. So I want to start. Um, I have a few points about uh, insulin that I want to. Pe- I want people to understand and how serious that is. And you know, is that okay with with you guys? Well, well, let's talk metabolic typing talk first, fast. and then okay. talk about insulin and sugar. All right. Um, okay, so metabolic typing. Uh, so uh, Dr. Or William Walcott, he coined this uh, dominance factor where uh, he discovered that um, 
There's different people have different uh, mechanisms to break down food faster, slower, or more or less. So these are dominant mechanisms, dominant controls. And so there's nine very very uh, combinations of these metabolic controls. So uh, it also uh, your uh, blood type will uh, have effect on that too. So as an example. Um, and this food can uh, one food the same food can be either stimulating or sedating, acidifying or alkalizing, uh, not because of the food, but it's on the, it depends on the effect it will have on your dominant control mechanism. Uh, so eating, for example, an orange um, uh, or potassium supplement will alkalize uh, the chemistry of one metabolic type but will acidify the chemistry of another metabolic type. So this determines, uh, in the end, how much you should be eating, how much meat, or uh, if you should be eating more meat or less meat, more carbohydrates or less carbo carbohydrates, which fruits, which vegetables, which um, how, what the proportions of the meals should be. Mm -hmm. So learning about your metabolic type is uh, very um, important because this uh, leads to like one man's food is another one's poison, you know, so this food will heal you, but it will actually cause another person to, you know, die. So it's very, it's important to know that. Yeah. Well, how did he figure out the metabolic, like, like what, what's the, the, like, we, why people have different metabolic types? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that, I'm just trying to generally tell you what it is because it is, you know, uh, it's quite a, um, well, it's it's difficult to explain in two minutes. Okay, so I will give you a, a, a nice uh, website to go on. Metabolic type. Um, okay, so the website you want to. It's just a page uh, that you will read um, quite uh, easily, and it will explain what metabolic type is. But uh, what we did for me and Nicholas, we just bought the book, and there's a test. And you went to the test, and then it tells you if you are more, you know, you need to eat more carbohydrates or you need to eat more um, uh, uh, meat and things like that. But I want you to understand the whole system because it will lead you into specific vegetables that are good for your veg uh, or fruits that are not good for you, etc. So there's more to it than just what me and Nicholas have been doing because I just don't have the time right now to figure out all the details. But um, so the uh, the website is metabolictypingonline.com/slash/what-is-it dot aspx so that is a nice website uh, uh, web page to kind of introduce you to it can i end at that okay. <laughs> i'll end at that well i think one <laughs> thing just one thing worth um maybe worth pointing out because as people look at some of the stuff they might uh, unfortunately a lot of these authors they all buy into evolution and darwinism so they they might talk about why they think oh you know, people have, need to eat these type of foods because that's the way humans evolved to eat. But I, I don't think people should uh, allow themselves to get um, kind of distracted by it. I mean, that's really a red herring because you don't need to believe in evolution to realize that people are meant to eat. So I know what, what I know I where mean, you're God, coming. God yeah. created us a, a way to, God created us, you know, to eat certain things. And I think, I mean, really, 
if God wanted us to be, you know, everything happy, everything nice, earthly paradise, strawberry fields forever, he'd make us so that we can eat as much sugar as we want and would be great, but this is the valley of tears, so sugar isn't good for us. We've been thrown out of, you know, the uh, garden of paradise. All the good stuff has been taken away from us. We are, you know, in the valley of tears for sure. Our health has been deteriorated and our food is naturally not has this, does not have the same quality as we would have in in that paradise. Yeah. Although that said, um, I mean, I, I'm like Justin. I love the wheat and stuff like that too. I, I haven't gone as far as he has. I still have a a little bit. But I mean, there's. It's not like we're eating terrible food. I mean, there's still all kinds of great tasting yeah. uh, stuff to eat. So. It's, you know, yeah, but, you know, if you lived in the Garden of Eden, you would live forever or at least a few thousand years. <laughs> now we're down to 80 <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're eating the right food. Yeah, something on the, on the food sensitivity front, too, that I would, I would make people aware of is, is that, uh, you know, you can get tested for food allergies pretty, pretty inexpensively. Uh, I mean, you don't, it doesn't cost a lot of money, and, and most people are really allergic to some type of food. Most people have a peanut allergy of some kind, or there's a, there's a lot of people who are allergic to dairy products and never even know it their entire life. They just go through life at this baseline level of discomfort, and, and they've, they grow to accept it, and it just becomes part of their life, like they have chronically stuffy noses or chronically itchy or, or um, you know, um, dry eyes, things like that. I mean, that's, a, that's an indication, really, of a food allergy that you need to get looked at. I mean, I'm, certainly I'm not giving medical advice here. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm just stating, you know, I'm stating the things that I've learned myself and I've seen. And uh, there are certain foods, you know, that I stay away from. I mean, I remember uh, back at Christmas time, you know, we had a, we had a company potluck uh, dinner. It was on the, the 20, 30 December. You know, everybody in their family brought in these, you know, these these wonderful covered dishes and everything, and they had a lot of sweets in there. And of course, people ask me, "Hey, you know, you have to try this 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 you know, Oreo and Snickers pie that I made, it's my grandmother's recipe or whatever." So, you know, being not being too too you know militant about this, I said, "Okay, you know, I'll try just a little bit, you know." And um, it was amazing. It, it felt like I got hit by a truck. I mean, I was so sick after eating that food that, I mean, I didn't have the heart to tell them this. I kept saying, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this is great. <laughs> you know, but, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, man, you're going to pay for this. I'm going to die tomorrow. You, know, you are going to pay for this. Oh, yeah. And, and so for the, you know, for the next couple of days, I mean, I was sweating profusely. I was sore all over my body. I mean, and it, when you start eating clean, you begin to, you know, these, these things manifest themselves in literally hours. I mean, and in some cases, if I eat something that I'm very sensitive to, uh, within an hour, I mean, I can feel bad. I can feel my blood pressure rise. I can start sweating. I can get, you know, some, some shooting pains, particularly now if it's anything, you know, wheat-based. I mean, I'm not, I'm not gluten intolerant, but I've, I've made myself to the point where uh, anything with gluten does, does have an effect. And so, um, you know, those those food sensitivities, you should really spend some time, and it would be amazing the things, the, the, the chronic pressing conditions in your life that you might alleviate just by finding out what you're putting in your body. Uh, and, and just a quick point on the gluten, because I know uh, Monica's researched this more, and it's something that's really widespread, they, uh, at least that's what they think. Uh, most people haven't been tested, but the, uh, gluten sensitivity. And I know I was, I was saying, well, you know, people used to eat bread all the time. How can, how, you know, why would God? Bread's in the Bible, Nicholas. Bread's in the Bible, you know? Right. I mean, but, 
But the point is, the wheat we have now isn't the wheat that people had even 100 years ago. Yeah. And the, the amount That's of right. gluten in modern wheat, because of all the genetic engineering and selective breeding and whatnot that's been going on, is, I, I don't know, I forget the statistics, like 100 or 1,000 times the gluten that there used to be. And uh, I know I was talking to the guy at the... Um, the uh, gluten-free uh, bakery near us because Monica is gluten intolerant. And, and he said that, you know, he knew some people that were like really like um, celiac disease. You know, they'd like practically die if they had a, a taste of wheat here. They went to Egypt and somehow accidentally had something with wheat. But because in Egypt they farm with a much older strain of wheat, they had no, no effect on them at all. So I mean, you know, this well, is another I, one know, of the. I can, yeah, I can totally agree with because I never had problems in Poland, and I was in Italy for a year. Nothing. I was completely healthy. I came to Canada right away. You know, all these uh, kind of sensitivities, and we had no idea. Like my parents had no idea that this could be from food. You know, so I went on through my whole life, and you know, university also like headaches for. Uh, fog brain, you know, um, all sorts of rashes, uh, you know, and they never thought that this could be, you know, from from food. But it is, you know, you know these... So, something that's fascinating about that, Monica, is, is you know, our, uh, our right honorable colleague, Stephen Heiner, who is, uh, he's in Paris right now, you know, right. living over there. And he, it's been interesting hearing... Because he's, he, he, I don't think he's as far as we are right now, but I don't think he's far off from where we are either. Um, he's been giving me sort of like a, you know, a view from the ground on this and about how Europeans just have a real visceral hatred for the American food system and, and how it's still, most things there are local and they don't allow 95% of the stuff that we allow in our food over here would never even see see its way onto a truck over there, let alone into, you know, a food market of any kind over there. And that uh, they're, they're a lot more conscientious about what, they, what they're putting in their bodies compared to you know, over here where there's a Taco Bell and a KFC on every corner, practically. And, how they, yeah, yeah. and how they treat their animals. Sure, you know, yeah. I remember uh, yeah, I grew yeah. up in my grandparents. I had grandparents on both sides of my um, dad and mom have uh, parents of uh, farmers. And they're, un- oh my God, it's just, it's, it's like a family. You, you know, you take care of your chickens, you take care of your ducks, your horses, cows, all, you know, it's a mixture of animals and all sorts of uh, crops. It's such a family oriented type of being. It was fabulous. You know, I remember walking the cows with my grand, with my aunt. You know, it was just so nice. Where would I do that here? These huge farms, these hundreds. You know, how many cows do they have in a barn? Like that's just crazy. Mhm. Yeah. Well, uh, with the time we have left, uh, I think uh, we've talked lots about food and. Uh, well, to a lesser extent, but uh, I, we, we need to talk a little bit about physical activity a bit, I think, as well. Um, and I don't know if this is something that might be a bit controversial. Um, and can I just add that, you know, these allergies and everything, if you start having, it all starts in the mouth. If you start having like a little, uh, you know, a sore in the side of your mouth, inside your mouth, that's also an indication that you're, you know, you're uh, 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 sensitive or allergic to something that you're eating there. Anyway, continue. Right. Okay, so uh, exercise. 
Um, this is, well, uh, uh, th- this is something that um, I-, I think bears speaking about. Uh, most people today, again, I go back to what I said at the beginning, physical activity was a way of life for people. It just, you didn't even think about it. You, you didn't have a car, you had to walk everywhere. Now you have to drive to work. You, you know, mo- many people are working in a desk all the time. I know Justin and I, we're both in a desk. I'm either in a desk or standing at a podium uh, all, all day, every day at work. Justin, I know you're you're at a desk uh, doing engineering yeah. drawings and things yeah. like that a lot of time. So I, I think exercise is important. Now, exercise is a bit of a two-edged sword in modern society because uh, sport has been elevated to a, a replacement religion, I think, and uh, people may uh, can can listen to uh, the most recent clerical conversations on the crisis for some thoughts from Bishop Dolan and uh, Father Chicago on that, and we're we're going to follow up on that with the next clerical conversations, uh, going a bit further along that line of thinking talking about sports and talking about the Olympics specifically, but uh, I know Bishop Dolan talked a lot of, uh, in uh, that episode about the risks of the overcompetitiveness and, the again, this kind of replacement religion aspect that sport has to it. But um, I think sport and, you know, physical exercise, like working out, be it at the gym or in a home gym, uh, I think is is very important. Uh, and Justin, uh, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about how that factored into your um, the, the, your uh, your journey, if we will, from uh, 300 pounds to where you are now. <laughs> well, um, I would say this needs to start off with just getting some baseline level of physical activity. I mean, if if you sit at a sit at a desk every single day, all right, you know, your body was never meant to be that static. I mean, it was never meant to be that inactive to where you're you're sitting all day long, probably under fluorescent lights, and you know, you, you you're you're not getting sunlight exposure and things like that, which which helps in vitamin D production. And uh, if you know, if you do something as simple as go for a walk every evening, that's a great place to start. In fact, that's all that I did to begin with. I mean, I just went for you know a two and a half, three mile walk every night. I started noticing some other benefits as well to my physical well-being. I mean, I obviously started having more energy. I slept better at night. I was more eager to get out of bed in the morning. But something else I noticed too was I was starting to connect more with the world around me. I was starting to notice such things that we that we don't notice any longer, like the phases of the moon. I, I started noticing certain squirrels. Around that you know are always around. I you know I you know Dr. White talks a lot about this uh, about being able to spend a little bit of time just away from everything, away from cell phones, computers, buzzing noises, and just getting outside and going for a walk. And you start to appreciate the season change. You start to notice the suns at different angles, and you know you can tell when the season change is getting ready to happen. And you know beginning to take a more of appreciation. That's a that's an added benefit to your physical activity as well. And so I would tell people, look, you don't need you don't need to go buy $10,000 worth of exercise equipment or go 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 spend 50 bucks a month for a gym membership. I mean, just start by doing something simple as getting some walking in. I mean, there was a it's funny, you know, I laugh at this every time I see a news headline, and I'm sure you guys see this as well because you know, you pay attention to this stuff, but you'll see some million dollar government grant out there to study the benefits of walking. And I mean, how absurd is that? And every single time this happens, 
there's always the same result. Yes, walking is beneficial to your health. Yes, people who walk live longer. Yes, people who, people who walk and get 15 to 20 minutes of exercise daily don't suffer as much from depression. I mean, I'm saying, is there a mystery to this? I mean, was this important as me as an American to spend tax dollars to figure this out? I mean, well, yeah, apparently it is. I mean, apparently people still don't understand that physical exercise and getting outside and doing something physical is important. I mean, you know, we as Americans, we love our spectator sports. We love to watch sports, okay? And full disclosure, you know, I, I enjoy sports as well, but I am getting now in my life because I'm in better physical shape where I would rather go play a sport than I would to go watch a sport. So if we're getting, you know, a softball league or a wiffle ball league together or a baseball league together or something of that nature, I would rather be engaged doing that and getting physical activity than I would to watch it. So those, that is, then of course, later on down the road, I started getting into you know, some weightlifting and you know, strength training and things like that just to get my muscles back. I mean, sitting in front of a desk all day, I mean, Nichols, I'm sure you can attest to this. I mean, you mm-hmm. get soft. You start to atrophy. I look at my grandfather who grew up on a farm, and then he became a coal miner, and then he, then he started doing um, auto body work later in his life. I mean, he was rock hard at 78 years old. I mean, the man was, I mean, he could take a 15-pound sledgehammer, hold it by the end of the hammer, and hold it outward at 78 years old. I mean, I couldn't mm-hmm. do that at 22. <laughs> you know, and, and so I mean, there was something there. There was a fundamental disconnect there between my ancestors, who, I mean, frankly, was standing in front of me, and where I was in my life. I was soft, pudgy. I was weak, and uh, when you begin to tend to that part of your life, everything—it's a cascade effect. Everything improves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's one thing I, I'd add in terms of everything improving. I, you know, depression is. Um, a big problem in society, and I don't think it's just because of overdiagnosis and uh, you know pushing pills from the pharmaceutical companies that it, so many people identified as being depressed. Yeah, I mean, and certainly a big part of it is the abandonment of God, because man is always going to be seeking, is never going to be satisfied. Only God can satisfy man, so that's a big part of it. But Another aspect, I think, especially for men, is, as you say, we're not meant, to, we're not built to be sitting behind desks all the time. I mean, you know, Genesis uh, 3, verse 19, you know, it says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return to the earth. I mean, you know, we're, we're meant to be working. I mean, men especially, the protectors, you know, the providers, we're supposed to be out there. We're built to be either... If you look at medieval society, which I always look at as the epitome of a Catholic society, men either, the great majority of them, they either fought or spent their time practicing how to fight, uh, or they um, farming, or they did farming. And and monastics, the the majority of clergy were uh, were uh, cloistered uh, in cloistered monasteries at that time. You know, the rule of Saint Benedict has physical manual labor every day is part or of it. Or Right. Um, so, and I think that's why, you know, uh, the, the science will say when you're inactive you're, and not using your muscles, not building muscles, your testosterone levels drop, and that contributes greatly to depression. And um, I know that that's something I've at t- time periods uh, struggled with, but when when I'm on top of getting physical activity, um, that that it's much less of a problem. And uh, for me, I'm I, I don't go to the gym. Um, 
uh, for I think it's more of an occasion of sin for some people than others. So I think it'd be a big problem for me. Um, plus, also I don't have the time. I just have like a chin-up bar, and just doing you know a, a half hour, forty-five minute uh, workout every uh, you know three times a week of some chin-ups and push-ups, and that is you know doesn't take a lot of time, not expensive, and um, that I, I'm in the best shape of my life and as you said you sleep better you feel better you wake up in the morning with more energy um it's really a big picture thing here where when you begin to tend to what you're putting in your body and then exercising your body it's like all of a sudden you begin to reconnect with how you're supposed to feel and how you, what you're supposed to be able to do on demand and uh, your stamina and your energy increase. And uh, I can attest you to Nicholas. I mean, you don't need, like I said before, you don't need to go out and spend a lot of money. I mean, body weight exercises, <laughs> you, can, you can do a lot of exercises on the floor of your living room against your own body weight and wear yourself out. So you can start there. I mean, you don't have to spend money to do it. And so, you know, we're talking economical. Use, use what you have. Use your body weight. Start doing planks and, and you know, crunches and pull-ups. If you can't do a pull-up, there's plenty of videos on the Internet where you can train your body to work up to the ability to do one pull-up. I mean, most, I mean, that's something else, too. Most adult males in the United States, and I'm sure Canada as well, because we're not that far apart, for crying out loud, cannot do one pull-up. Most males today cannot do one pull-up, which is, yeah. which is an abomination. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, well, that's... Yeah, well, you know. two years ago, I couldn't do a single pull-up. Uh, you know, and I could barely do a couple chin-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then... Um, just, uh, you know, without getting into too much detail, but, you know, one easy way to build that up is doing negative repetitions. You stand on a chair to get yourself up and then take your feet off the chair and slowly lower yourself down. Um, and you you do that and you'll build up the muscles until you can, you know, now a couple of years later I can do th- three sets of five of each yeah. and, you know, trying to build up more. Um, so, the whole idea, though, is to do something. You know, just get yourself out of the static routine of doing nothing and coming home and just sitting around or whatever. And, uh, you know, take the family out for a walk. Do, do something to get some form of physical exertion going to where you can get a little bit of sweat. You can get that blood pressure up a little bit. And um, you'll begin to see, and dare I say it, I mean, Nicholas, I mean, would you agree with me? It's, it's almost immediate. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, and it may seem counterintuitive. You think, oh, man, I'm so tired at the end of the day I, I don't have the strength to do it but it actually gives you energy mm-hmm. as you said it, it may it does seem kind of counter counterintuitive but you actually feel i always feel energized uh, uh, you know i mean i'm kind of physically tired but otherwise i i yet at the same time energized after some physical activity um now we've we've kind of left poor monica out in this argument but this discussion here um, although I suspect this is a bit more of a issue for men since men are the ones who are meant to be outside working. Plus also women are doing an awful lot of lifting and carrying uh, mothers for sure and, and running. Yeah, and my cardiovascular and... is pretty good. It's just I would imagine that it is. Running around, lifting, carrying. You know, Just cooking, running around I mean, on my feet all the time, all the time. Yeah. But you know, the strength is is definitely I need to work on it. But 
Once the kids grow up, I'll work out. You're able to lift, uh, you know, 30-pound toddlers and carry them around, so. Well, it's a little different strength, though, you know. But anyway, I'll I'll work on it when I can, when they're grown up. (laughs) Right now, my heart is still beating. I'm okay. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I I do think mothers... um, their lives haven't changed. Their work hasn't changed as much as uh, as uh, those who are outside the home. I, I suppose that's the the point there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, something else about this too. About you know, I get a chance to see, and I'm, I better be very careful in how I say this because I don't want to offend uh, you know the the names of the guilty here. But let's just put it this way. I see some of those I work with and some of their family members and whatnot, and the mothers that stay at home with the children, it's interesting, uh, they tend to be more in shape than the mothers who are working a job in the workplace. And, uh, the, I mean, the women that, that work in the workplace tend to have the same body types as the men do, which is overweight and unhealthy because they're on that same schedule. They're on that same, oh, let's go out to lunch every day. And let's face it, most people want to get out and go to lunch because they want to get out of the office. They're tired of being there. They don't want to be inside. And I think that speaks to something a little bit more a little bit more, uh, I'm not sure primal is the word, uh, but something a little bit deeper inside of you that says, gosh, yeah. guys, this is not natural. This is not normal to be sitting all day, just just breathing fresh air outside. Oh, I, you know? I believe it. I mean, the thing is that if I was, if you lock me up in an office and I just have to be typing all day, I would feel like I'm in prison. I would have to like call. It's not, I can't handle this. So good. I don't know. So thank God, you know, Holy Lord got me out of that kind of state of uh, life. And, you know, even though I'm exhausted with kids, I'm, you know, it's, it, I, I don't feel so cooped up. Absolutely. Even though I'm at home, you know, it's not the same as if I was there every day, eight o'clock morning, every day, punching those numbers, click, click, click. And, you know, it's just, here I'm just doing what I want, what I need, you know, you move around and, well, we're uh, r- right up to the end of the show, and uh, that, I think it's just perfect timing because we've covered off uh, everything we want to discuss, and yeah, a lot. And again, there's always um, we're always open to. Um, uh, well, to, I to still wanted to talk about preservatives and carcinogens in our food that they put in. I want to warn people about carrageenan, xanthan gum, and gargum, and benzene. <laughs> Yeah, ben, benzene uh, is, uh, well, it's omnipresent up here, although I think, Justin, you were saying you looked it up and uh, benzene is actually Ill- illegal in uh, American food or food made in the U.S., but I guess a lot of it's made in China now. Even food is coming from China nowadays. Yes, yes from what I could read, it, it is, uh, sodium benzoate is, is not allowed for food produced here, but, of course, we can import it uh, from, you know, uh, it, it, it's oh, used to preserve like, all the Italian peppers and things wow. like that, and okay, you know it comes okay. over. I would also tell you know while we're talking about food stuff here, just as kind of we're kind of circling the wagon back around to this food topic here. But you know one thing that I would say is uh, a little challenge that I pose to all of our listeners here. Next time you go to the grocery store, do this little experiment and see what you come up with. Walk down the grocery store aisles and try count how many foods that you can find that do not do not have soy in them or soy products. And I think it's going to blow your mind because, I mean, right down to chewing gum has soy in it. 
I mean, it's incredible how this has become something that is almost synonymous with every type of food group you can imagine across the board. Soy and corn, uh, I would say. Soy, yeah, soy is in it. I mean, and, and uh, but you know what you soy know, does? Soy I know exactly is the what worst. It does. Why don't you tell the audience, Monica? You tell the audience what soy does. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> should, should I just leave it to you? No, but, no, no, no. Uh, go ahead, please, it's, please. It's, you, it's you've done worst, research. It's the worst pancreatic uh, enzyme inhibitor in the world. Plus, mm-hmm. it has all sorts of like it has so much estrogen. Uh, that uh, there's no nothing else beats it, and uh, the formula and for babies. If you're using the soy formula, well, your baby will develop. You know, will become the boy will become a girl, literally, because <laughs> there's just so much estrogen and this, the testosterone is completely gone. It's you know plus you know the, these enzyme inhibitors. So do yeah. not eat soy. More, you know, more, more about soy on the, on the biomolecular level, too, is that soy is, is really a heavy inflammatory. I mean, it, it causes inflammation at the cellular level, and um, obesity, by definition, is an inflammatory problem. I mean, that's, that's what's happening. And so the more soy that you keep in your diet, the harder that it is to, to get that weight off because you're continuing to pump into your body at really, really inordinate levels. A, uh, a oil which, which contains soy, which is causing continued inflammation. If you get that out of your diet, and listen, yeah. I'll be the first to admit, that's very difficult to do if you're not going to take the advice to start cooking your food from scratch. Even, even if you are eating you know, commodity food and you make the effort to stay away from soy, it's hard. It's, it really is an effort, but the rewards are amazing staying away from it. Well, we're just about out of time for tonight's show, but Monica, I know you had a list of uh, very common additives to uh, food that you wanted to warn our listeners about before we wrapped up. Yes, I found these up um, much earlier, uh, a few years back, and uh, I was concerned about them. And now I, I also find them in, um, mentioned by Dr. Marcola in his article, uh, Top 10 foods, uh, food additives to avoid. So that means I'm not going, you know, I'm not the silly woman who over-exaggerates things. It's, uh, you know, there's other more uh, sophisticated, smarter people than me concerned about these. So I really would like to go through these, yeah. So may I? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. okay. So benzene is a well-known carcinogen, and it is a chemical that is not afraid of water or oil. So it goes through the cells unhindered, and when it gets to DNA, it gets stuck in there, causing DNA to be misread and thus producing cancer. There's new ones out there on the market on, in foods that are called carrageenan, guar gum, xanthan gum, or other gums. Well, Dr. Russell Blaylock, in his book, Health and Nutrition Secrets That Can Save Your Life, it points out, a recent study found that when a carrageenan was injected in an animal along with a cancer-causing uh, chemical, tumors appeared more rapidly than in controlled animals injected with carcinogen alone. In studies, she found that carrageenan is taken up by the interstitial, intersta- um, intestinal cells rather easily, but the cells are unable to metabolize it. As carrageenan accumulates in cells, it may cause them to break down, and over time, this produces um, this uh, process could lead to uh, ulcerations. So the cells break down, of course. 
I actually experienced that myself, um, just eating a coconut uh, milk, uh, drinking it for a week, and I ex- literally experienced um, mouth tingling and later burning. And, you know, if I did not stop, I'm sure I would have the same um, these wounds produced in my own mouth. But uh, continuing, uh, hydrogenated oils. These are oils, uh, liquid oils that have been submerged in um, military explosive hexane. And uh, these things, are um, uh, they will be residues in, in the, your solid oils. Um, another thing to avoid. Another thing is uh, EDTA. Uh, calcium EDTA or EDTA are both uh, synthetic amino acids are used to, for treating acute and chronic heavy metal poisoning like from lead or mercury because they can latch onto, onto them and take them out of our body. Uh, but, uh, so uh, Dr. Elmer M. Creighton, a Harvard graduate, tells us uh, is pondering why are these things in, uh, in food? And, the, and he tells us, there's a reason to believe that pro, prolonged use of oral EDTA can deplete the diet of essential elements causing deficiency because it also grabs on uh, to the rest of the metals like iron, copper, calcium, zinc, magnesium, chromium, and other essential nutrients, uh, nutri- nutritional elements from food in our, in our gut. Another uh, one is uh, propylene glycol, and you know that's in ice cream, in your um, all these creamed uh, creamers, they all have uh, propylene glycol. Okay, this is a solvent that can potentially result in a cell mutations and skin, liver, and kidney damage if ingested in high enough dose, uh, enough amounts. The Environmental Working Group rates polyprop. Um, propylene glycol as a moderate hazard, similar with polysorbate 60 that can be contaminated with, it, with other toxins. MSG is used as a flavor enhancer. It, ex- it's, it is an excitotoxin, a substance that overexcites cells to the point of damage or death. Sodium sulfate. People are, who are sulfate sensitive can experience headaches, breathing problems, and r- rashes. In severe cases, sulfites can cause death. Sodium nitrate or nitrite. This common preservative has been linked to various types of cancer. BHA, BHT in my um, lard. That's why I'm starting to use my lard, uh, making my own lard. Uh, these are preservatives that affect the neurological system of your brain, alter behavior, and have potential cause to, uh, to cause cancer. Sulfur dioxide. Uh, sulfur additives are toxic, and in the U.S., they have been prohibited in raw fruit and vegetables. Adverse reactions include bronchial problems, low blood pressure, and um, anaphylactic shock. Potassium bromate, this additive is used to increase volume in some breads. It is known to cause cancer in animals, and even small amounts can create problems for humans. Food dyes have been connected to a variety of health problems, including allergy, allergy reaction, hyperactivity, decreased IQ in children, and numerous forms of cancer. Sacralose, an artificial sweetener uh, known as Splenda, is associated with respiratory difficulties, migraines, seizures, gastrointestinal problems, heart palpitations, weight gain, and list, reported, um, list of reported problems is growing by the day.
artificial sweeteners like aspartame turns into formaldehyde in the human cells. So I already discussed that problem of making people blind and other issues. Um, and uh, well, basically, uh, artificial sweeteners, um, Mm, they all can be, uh, also lead to kidney function, uh, um, impaired kidney function, depression, headaches, infertility, brain tumor, and a long list of other serious health problems. Uh, and there are obviously safer natural sweeteners like stevia or other things. I, I have a list, but we will not go into it. <laughs> I'm done. Okay. But I guess even uh, just regular sugar sounds like it could be better than uh, some of the stuff you just listed. There. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, if you don't have, um, you know, uh, uh, problems with uh, high levels of sugar, uh, you know, in your blood, that you know, go ahead, keep on using that sugar. But stevia is good anyway, or other things like that, yeah. Well, as you say, I, there's, Lots more that could be discussed, but I think we've already given listeners uh, quite a bit to to think about from today's show. And uh, if uh, people are interested in hearing more, maybe we can uh, come back for a, a second show on health and uh, deal with things uh, in a, a little bit more depth on some specific topics. Sure. But uh, for now, uh, Justin and Monica, thank you both of me, both of you, for joining me tonight uh, for the show and. Um, Thank you to our listeners for uh, for sticking with us. I, I think this is very important stuff that we've covered and uh, uh, a lot of uh, good information here. And we at Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be of value to you and to your Catholic faith and to your physical health, that you please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. If you have any comment, questions or comments, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Please uh, feel free to leave us a message on our Twitter handle, at True Restoration, or via email at flagship at truerestoration.org. And I know uh, my dear wife is, would be more than happy to correspond with people that have uh, more questions about some of the things she talked about. And uh, we want to remind you that uh, all shows from on Restoration Radio Network uh, are uh, all rights reserved to Restoration Radio, and any duplication without a written permission is forbidden, although uh, we're more than happy to work with people. If uh, you want to share our program, uh, just uh, send us uh, an email at mail at truerestoration.org, and I'm sure we'll be able to uh, come to some arrangements. So, again, uh, Justin and Monica, thank you for uh, for joining me, and... Um, Hopefully we can do this again sometime. God bless.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.